doing welcome to the teaching ministry of Nelson Ihiagwa. Be stirred as you listen. Living by revelation. I'm sure a lot of people saw this topic and they probably will be thinking living by revelation is probably living by you know some set of rules that can make you a new superman in christ living by a set of rules that can make you be a bad guy you know all those rules that when when you begin to speak things because of the level and the depth in god that you have attained you know as you begin to say things it will begin to happen well not exactly (laughs) that is not exactly what we are talking about tonight okay that is not exactly what we're talking about tonight so turn your bible with me or before you turn your Bible, let me start by saying this. The Word of God does not just tell you who you are. The Word of God tells you how to act. The Word of God does not just tell us who we are. The Word of God tells us how to act. The Bible lets us understand that um, again and again, it tells us what to do in specific situations. You see Paul in his writing to the churches, he's giving them instructions as to how to carry themselves. He's giving them instructions as to what to do. You know, that side by side, him telling them who they are in Christ and all those things. Paul is telling them what they are supposed to do and how they are supposed to carry themselves. Okay? So if there is one thing we need to understand is this. The word of God does not just tell you who you are. The word of God tells you how to act. The word of God tells you how to act. The word of God teaches us how to carry ourselves in honor, in line with the will of God. The word of God tells us that. The word of God teaches us. Let me say that again. The word of God tells us how to carry ourselves in line with the will of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the word of God doesn't just tell us who we are. The word of God tells us how to act. You see, um, there's a popular verse that is commonly used when he's talking about people wanting to only hear about wrong doctrine. And, you know, that is exactly the context in quote it was used. But, you know, it can be explained further. But look at this. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I hope you're with your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 4 from verse 3. Look at what he says. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after, but, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, having itching ears, and they shall turn away, they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So you see Paul writing to Timothy, and he's saying that people will turn away from the truth, and then they will have itching ears. They will have itching ears. Why did Paul say this? You know, because he was talking about this, and he connected people having itching ears to people wanting to hear what their lost wanted them to hear. Can I say that again? He connected people having itching ears to them wanting to hear what they wanted to hear. So, you see, if there's one thing that Paul has let us understand is this. Paul has drawn a line between having itching ears and wanting to hear things after your own lust. Paul has drawn a line between having itching ears and wanting to hear things after your own lust. Okay? Um... So, having itching ears, like, like I wrote down here, is, is not just wanting to hear, it's not just wanting to hear error, it's wanting to hear half-truths, 
wanting to hear a part of the truth that appeals to you wanting to hear a part of the truth that appeals to you so you see a lot of people who they are lopsided christians they are um half-baked they are what's the word i'm looking for they are biased christians they love prayer but when you talk about bible study and they're like ah i'm not too like that kind of thing that is not who we are when you see a lot of people talk about um when you see a lot of people talk about you know prayer and the miraculous they're excited but when it comes to giving they're like ah i don't really like those kind of things no child of god that is not who we are that is not who we are having itching ears is wanting to hear what your lost wants so let me put it let me put it in context of what i'm saying you know i started by saying that the word doesn't just tell you who you are but how to act having itching ears can also be wanting to hear only who you are and not wanting to hear how to act so you see some people they want to hear oh i'm the righteousness of god in christ jesus sin has no dominion over me they want to hear things about the goodness of god they want to hear things about what god has done in christ they want to hear what christ has done they want to hear the miraculous they want to hear what god has made available they want to hear about favor but when you start saying that the word of god talks about moral excellence the word of god talks about love for the saints the word of god talks about forgiveness they begin to say things like ah uh -uh, leave that thing first leave that thing first you don't say leave that thing first it's not who we are it's not who we are that is having itching ears you want to hear an aspect of the truth but you don't want to hear the other side of truth that is telling you not just who you are but how to act you are tuning your ears to your lusts you want to hear what your lust wants to carry not what the word of god is saying praise jesus you want to hear what your lust will carry not what the word of god is saying the word of god does not just tell you who you are as important as that is in fact that is it is who you are that informs it is who you are that informs how you act let me say that again it is who you are that informs how you act child of god listen to me carefully if you you don't you don't just tell a dog to bark it comes with his nature if a dog is um bleating you will look at the dog and say something is wrong with this one so also for the child of god you know for those of us who received our mail there was the mail that was uh, linked to the, our blog post apostolic pattern can someone write that in the comment section our blog post apostolic niministries.org forward slash apostolic hyphen pattern you know we talked about the superimposition of who you are by the revelation of christ of your of yourself in christ that you have received and truly that is a function of the word of god that is a function of the word of god the word of god tells you who you are and if you listen long enough to who you are it will inform how you act when a guy i mean there's something that they, there's a way that a young man would behave you say what is wrong with you don't you know you're a guy you're not supposed to slouch your hands this way you're not supposed to be moving your hips this way there is a way that a guy is expected to act because and it's not because he's doing anything special it's just because who he is should inform how he acts it is the same way that the child of god who he is should inform how he acts who he is should inform how he acts praise god so you see that the word of god is call and response the word of god is call and response let's look at the most amazing part of the word of god we are talking about um salvation for example salvation is a response to faith 
Salvation is a response to a particular kind of message. You see, it is called, it is not called a gospel, it is called the gospel. Why? Because salvation is the is the predictable outcome of a kind of response to the particular message. Salvation is a predictable outcome to a preservation is a predictable outcome to to a kind of response to a kind to a particular kind of message. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Thank you, Lord God. Romans chapter 10. Oh, Labadi, Jeke Brando, Sefeni, Kahida. Romans 10, 8. Romans 10, 8. Look at this. It says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Look at this 9. He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God had raised him from the dead. Do you see that? He was, he was speaking specific things. He was not just speaking a haphazard kind of message. He was saying that there is a particular kind of thing that they should believe. Let me read that again. He said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe what are you going to believe you believe in your heart that god had raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved look at 10 he says for with thy heart man believed unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation now you don't confess to be saved you confess because you are saved you don't confess to be saved you confess because you are saved i say that one more time you don't confess to be saved you confess because you are saved so because you are saved there's a particular kind of response you give to the message of salvation and then the predictable outcome of that response is called salvation when you believe that Jesus died, Christ raised him from the dead for your sins, you are saved. First Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 4 tells us what the gospel is in context, okay? And if that message is not preached, if it is any other thing that is preached, it is not the gospel. So, the word of God is call and response. Salvation is that response. When the message of faith is preached, when salvation is preached, faith is born in the heart of a man to believe in that message. And when the man believes in that message, what then happens is that the man is declared saved, the man's sins are declared forgiven. Why? Because he believed in that message. You see, you don't need, in quotes, you don't need faith to believe the gospel. When you listen to the message of the gospel, faith is born in your heart to receive what is being taught. When you listen to the message of the gospel, faith is born in your heart to receive what is being taught. Glory to God. I say that one more time. When you hear the message of the gospel, faith is born in your heart to receive what is being taught. What is being taught. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So salvation is the response to salvation is that response is the product of that response and when you believe in the message of the gospel that man is declared saved that man is declared saved that man is declared saved so you see even in salvation the greatest expression of the love of God to mankind we see that a man is expected to respond to it and then his response to that thing is called faith and then salvation is the, is the result Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So tonight, what we are going to do is we're actually drawing a line between response and reality. We are drawing a line between response and fact. 
We are drawing a line between response and facts. We are drawing a line between who you are and how you should act. We are drawing a line between who you are and how you should act. Just like how salvation is the, is the product of the response to the gospel. We are drawing a line between who you are and how you should act. You see, the Christian life is one of is a continuous life of learning and unlearning. You know, I told you that I had uh, my brother, man of God, I love uh, Toby Akeridolu. He said something. He said that the Christian life is unlearning death and learning life. He said that the Christian life is unlearning death and learning life. So, the Christianity is a life of continuous repentance. The word repentance means metanoia. It means to change your mind. As you keep listening to the word of God, as you keep studying the word of God, your mind is going to shift from what you thought was right to what... Your mind is going to shift from what you thought was right to what the word of God actually says. Because you don't know the word on rumors. You don't know the word... You don't know God on assumptions. You know God on what the word of God says. You know God on what the word of God says. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So for the Christian life, one thing you get to understand is this. The Christian life is on learning and learning. When you encounter the truth of God's word, all preconceived notion, all bias ends. You know, the Bible says in Job chapter 42, I believe verse 5. Job said, all I knew about you, I knew about you from the hearing of the ear. You don't know God. Based, or another translation said, I knew about you by rumors. So he knew about God from hearsay. Not what the word of God said, who God is or the, or the nature of God. He knew God by hearsay. A lot of people know the God of their parents. A lot of people know the God their pastor told them about. A lot of people know the God that they've heard, that they've heard do wonders for other people. A lot of people don't know this God. And how do you know God? The primary way by knowing God, if I may disappoint you, is not by revelatory encounters. It's not by the visitation of angels. The primary way of knowing God is by the study of the word. You see, Jesus, when he, he was going to Emmaus, he was going to Emmaus, he saw two disciples. And as he saw those guys, now, when they saw Jesus, Jesus asked them, what is happening? And they said, are you a stranger in town? That Jesus, a mighty prophet, he was murdered. That was in Luke chapter 24, you know. And then Jesus you know, Jesus did not tell them, um, I'm here now, look at my wounds. Or he just turned stone to bread and did one mighty miracle. Jesus did not do that. What Jesus did was, Jesus, he began, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, he said, he beginning at Moses. He expanded in all scripture the things concerning himself. So if you read and Luke 24, you start from, you go to verse 40, 40 down to 44. You see this. He began and he expounded in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he began to teach them the things about himself from the word of God. Jesus honored the word enough to explain who he was from the word. How much more you child of God. You don't just know God based on hearsay or visions or dreams. Visions and dreams are powerful and amazing. But can I tell you something? The primary and the principal way to know God is by the study of the word and by teaching ministry. By teaching ministry. By teaching ministry. Praise God. That is why the word of God must have primary place in your life. If you say God is the most important person slash factor in your life, how much of this God do you know? How much of the word of God have you studied to build the conviction in your heart that this God is true? How much? How much? Praise Jesus. Praise God. Alright. So tonight, 
in the first, that was just an introduction. Tonight in the first of our series, I'm going to be teaching about the Lordship of Jesus. I'm going to be teaching about the Lordship of Jesus. All right. Um, you see, <laughs> let me say something very carefully. A lot of people say things like Jesus is Lord. But can I ask you a question? How do you know? Is it scientifically proven that he's Lord? How do you know Jesus is Lord? What logic supports your claim that truly he is Lord? What logic supports your claim? Now, I'm here to give you the answer tonight and draw a line for what does the Lordship of Jesus mean for me? I'm here to teach you that tonight. Jesus is Lord. Turn your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. Are you there? Let's start from verse 5. Look at this. He says, Let this mind, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Look at verse 7. He says, But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him, upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Look at verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at verse 9. He says, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name that is above every name. Look at verse 10. He says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. Now, Jesus, how, how does this verse tell us Jesus was declared Lord? He was by the Father. Philippians chapter 2. We read, we read from verse 5 to verse um, 10. From verse 5 to 10. From verse 5 to, verse 5 to 11, rather. He says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. How do you know that Jesus is Lord? Simple, which I'm going to, you know, um, expound some more on. You see? How do we know that Jesus is Lord? Is by simply seeing what Paul has said here. He said that he humbled himself became obedient unto death and God exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name you see the name here does not mean name as per appellation the name here is actually what it means is authority authority alright so it means onoma he's talking of the authority so child of God listen the power in the name of Jesus is not in his name, Jesus. I mean, there's a footballer called Jesus Navas. There are many guys from South America that answer the name Jesus and all those things. A Yoruba child can answer Jesus. It's not a problem. Okay? It's a name. But it's not the power is not in the name, in the syllables or how it sounds. The power is in the authority invested in that name by God. And that authority was invested. You know, he took himself the form of a man. He became obedient unto death, unto the death of the cross. And then, by that, he was highly exalted and given an authority. And then, in that authority, at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. If we are going to expound, unpack this particular verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, all right, what it will mean for us, what it will mean for us is this. 
or from verse 8 rather, you know, the death of the cross. What do you mean for us is this? The Bible says he died for our sins and then he rose for our justification. What this will actually mean for us is simple. Is this? It's not just that Jesus died, it's that he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, if he conquered death, then he has ability and authority to tell us about eternal life. If he conquered death, his authority was seen. Okay? If he conquered death, his authority was seen. So, he says that at the name of Jesus, every name should bow. Of things in heaven, of things in earth, and of things under the earth. In his death, burial, and resurrection, is his, in, is his um, attestation to authority seen. In his death, burial, and resurrection, is the revelation of his authority seen. If he died, rose again, never to die again, then he is Lord. And therefore, God in being dying on the cross, God invested upon his name and authority, or God invested upon him an authority that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me show you another verse, Romans chapter 14. It will further expand on what I'm saying. Romans chapter 14, from this. From verse 7. Let me read from verse 7. Look at what it says. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Do you see this? He said, Nobody lives to himself and dies to himself. He says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we live unto the Lord. He says, Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Look at verse 9. He says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Hallelujah. He is Lord, both of the dead and of the living. He is Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Jesus Christ truly is Lord. Why? Because he rose from the dead and he is never going to die again. If he rose from the dead in his authority, God has invested that ability in his name because he was humble, obedient unto death and God highly gave him a name and if truly he died and he rose again, then truly he is Lord both over the living and over the dead. He's Lord both over the living and over the dead. Glory to God. Glory to God. Jesus Christ is Lord. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection is his Lordship seen. Let me say that again. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection is his Lordship seen. So if anybody asks you, you keep saying Jesus is Lord, how do you know? It's simple. Because he died and he rose again. Therefore, you know, Paul says if we live, no man lives unto himself. We live unto the Lord or we die unto the Lord. And then Paul now went further in the next verse to now explain to us. And then he now said that for this end, Christ died and rose again and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. If he died and rose again, he is Lord of the dead. If he died and rose again, then he is Lord over the dead. And then he is Lord over the living. Truly, this Jesus is Lord of all. Because he died and he, is, he does not remain dead. He rose again. 
Can I tell you something? This is the crux of Christianity. This is the crux of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus is the crux of Christianity. Many people have tried to debunk the fact that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And why have they tried to do this? It's very simple. It's because if Jesus did not rise, of all men, we are most miserable. Our hope that truly we will rise from the dead and be reunited with him is based on the fact that Jesus died. The premise of the fact that Jesus died and rose again, uh, the logic of that is based on the fact that the fact that we will die and rise again and be with Jesus is based on the premise that Jesus died and rose again. So if Jesus did not rise, our faith is void. We have no hope. Of all men, we are most miserable. We have nothing to live for. But many, many atheists have studied this historical fact because it's actually Jesus is not a fable Jesus is a man of history history has it that there was a man called Jesus many atheists have tried to study and debunk the fact that he did not rise from the dead all of them have failed many of them have actually studied these things and in their bid to debunk the truth the evidence they found was too overwhelming that they had to become Christians because I know it's Listrobel that said this Listrobel is a lawyer and then he's an investigative journalist talk of occupations of skeptics all right. Now, Lee Strobel said at the end of his study, he said the evidence he found was so overwhelming that it would take more faith to be an atheist than it would take to be a Christian. Why? Because the evidence of the Christian faith hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And the fact that we can call, me, call him Lord is based on the premise that truly he rose from the dead. The fact that we can call him Lord is based on the premise that Jesus rose from the dead. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. What is the logic behind it? He died and he rose again. That he might be the Lord both of the living and of the dead. He was obedient unto the death of the cross and then God highly exalted him and gave him a name. He gave him authority that at the name of Jesus, that authority is what makes men look at him and say, this one truly is Lord. Why? Because he died and he rose again. Hey, my Jesus is not dead. My Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. My Jesus is alive. He died and rose again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, what exactly does this mean for the believer? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, I told you that his lordship is found in his death and his resurrection, all right? And then the fact that he lives again. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go to verse 15. Look at what he says. He says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. If Jesus is Lord, i.e., if his lordship is seen in the fact that he died and he rose again, therefore, if he died for you, you therefore do no longer live for yourself. You live for him who has called you. Let me say that again. If he died for you, you henceforth no longer live unto yourself, but you live for him who has called you. That is what Paul also said in that Romans 14 verse 7. Paul said, for none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. New KJV. No one dies. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. The reason he is called Lord is because we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him that has called us. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for him who has called us. You see, the word Lord means, it paints a picture of slavery, in quote. And what do, I'm, I'm saying that to mean that he has bought us with a price. 
I'm saying that to mean that he has bought us with a price. Amen. He has bought us with a price. So, um, how did Jesus buy us? First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter 6 Go to verse 19 He says Know ye not That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost Which is in you Which you have of God and you are not your own Look at verse 20 It says for you are bought with a price Therefore glorify God in your body And in your spirit Which are God Child of God you are bought with a price you are bought with a price. The reason we can call him Lord is because our, our purchasing is found in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. You see, when we say that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our redemption is not a fun fact. Our redemption is the truth of life. And what does our redemption exactly mean? Let me explain. Our redemption, what it exactly paints to is this. Redemption means apolotrusis. You see, if you go in the Old Testament, you go to Leviticus, when they talked of redemption, what they meant was you are going to redeem your land. What that meant is you are going to buy it back. You are going to buy it back. So when we say that Jesus has redeemed us from death, what it means is that he bought us back from death. And what was the price that he paid? His life. He gave his blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. He gave his blood. So in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, is your buying back from the hand of sin. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, is your buying back from the clutches of death. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, is your buying back from the hand of Satan. Your buying back is not based on what you did, what you do, what you cannot do. Your buying back is on the premise of this death of Jesus. Your buying back is on the premise of is on the premise of the death. If Jesus rose from the dead, if Jesus died for you and rose again, Satan has nothing on you. Why? Because you have been paid for in full. Say I've been paid for in full. Say I've been paid for in full. Jesus bought you with a price. Child of God, you have been paid for in full. Satan cannot lay claim to your life because you have been paid for in full. Hallelujah. Hey, I've been bought with a price. And the Holy Ghost, the Bible lets us understand in 2 Corinthians 1. It, it says the Holy Ghost is the earnest of, our, I think, verse 22. He's the earnest of our inheritance. He's the, he's the down payment. If you have the Holy Ghost, what that means is truly you are saved. And if you are saved, he has given you with a price. He has bought you back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Child of God, you have been paid for. In his death, burial, and resurrection, your sins have been taken care of. What does that mean for the believer? We no longer live for ourselves. We live for him for Him who died for us and rose again. Apollotrusis, he redeemed us. He bought us back. Sin could lay claim to us, but no more. Because he bought us back. Sin could lay claim to us before, but no more. Jesus has bought me back. Hallelujah. Now, Look at um, you see there was a there's someone that said on SM Zwimmer SM Zwimmer Zwimmer is, Zwimmer is spelled Z W E M E R. He said it's either he is Lord of all or he is or he is not Lord at all. It's either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Listen, is either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all? 
So the child of God has been bought with a price for that one, for, through the Messiah that has paid for you. This is a legal reality. What is our response to the fact that he has bought us back? We live for him. We no longer live unto ourselves. We no longer live unto our desires. Can I tell you something, child of God? When you are excited, when, when you see plans that you have, and you're like, ah, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. An example of the Lordship of God is when the Lord says, don't do. Even when you have all the opportunities to do, your plans end when the God has spoken. It is a response to his lordship. Our plans, our desires, our ambitions, they end when God has spoken. This is a word for somebody. Maybe there's a plan you've had. Maybe there's an exciting thing that you are going to do. You know, there's something you have already planned the way to work out. That plan should end once the voice of God has spoken against it. That's if he has spoken against it. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Either he is lord of all or he is not lord at all. Our response to what he has done is consecration to his will. That is our response. Our response to what he has done is consecration to his will. I'm just going to read, I'm just going to state two things. What does, what does, um, what does the lordship of Jesus mean for the believer? I'm just going to state two things it means. The Lord, it does in response to our, our topic. Two things it means. Number one, we live on his terms. We don't live on the on the terms of the world. We live on we live on it on the terms of the word, not on the terms of the world. Can I say that again? We live on the terms of the word, not on the terms of the world. You know, I heard um, Pastor Oge say something one time. He said, "As a believer, your argument should end when somebody says the Bible says." That's if the person says it in proper context. It does not matter how you you are biased towards that topic once the person says the bible says your argument should end your argument should end why because if truly you love the lord if truly you are consecrated to his will if truly you are separated to him you know that the word rightly divided is the revelation of his will for the believer so it does not matter what bias you had we live on his standards not on the standards of the world you see we live in a world where the standards of morality are constantly shifting the standards of morality it's okay to it's okay to have sex before you get married. It's okay to be homosexual. It's okay to be to abort. It's okay to do all this weird stuff. <laughs> and I say we are from the standpoint of the word of God, right? It's okay to do all these things. And then there are names and there are euphemisms to adjust it. You know, euphemisms that instead of saying it is wrong, it's fornication. We say no, it is getting physical. It's just being intimate. It's wrong. You know, moral excellence is still a pearl. Standing by, the, by what the word of God has said, we stay in line with the truth of God's word over emotions, over feelings, over, um, over excitement of trend. We don't jump on trend. There is a pattern that has been set for us. It's called the word of God. The word of God, I mean, you look at Paul saying things in 1 Corinthians 6, I believe. You see Paul saying, rather than take a brother to court, suffer yourself to be defrauded. It will pain you, but truly is what the word of God says. So we are just and we stay in line with it. Being a Christian many times and staying with the word of God many times will mean that you'll be a fool. Many times it will mean that, that's from men's standpoint, it will mean that you're going to turn down juicy opportunities because men have refused to see, men don't see things from the way you see things. 
child of God. Listen, like I will repeat what SM Zwimmer said. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose. If Jesus is Lord, then all he said we will do. All he said we will do. And this one is closely linked to the second point of his lordship. The truth of the matter is Jesus is coming back again. Child of God, Jesus is coming back again. The life we are going to live is the template and the springboard from which we will give account to him. We are going to tell him that, Lord, this is what I did. This is what I did with the life that you gave to me. I did this and this and this. We are going to give account. Look, turn your Bible with me to Romans chapter 14. And then I'm ending my message. Romans chapter 14. Thank you, Lord God. Romans chapter 14 from verse 10. Or let's read from verse 9. Look at what it says. It says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. 12. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Everyone to do that you are slacking, remember you will give account. Then we will give account. The things that he has told you to do that you are slacking, remember you will give account. The supernatural relationships he has brought into your life that you are slacking, you will give account. The ministries he has told you to partner with that you are slacking, you will give account. The things that he has told you to focus on that you are not focusing on, we will give account. Listen, don't be afraid. The child of God is heaven bound. The child of God is heaven bound. If you are born of God, heaven is your home. In fact, right now, positionally, you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Realistically, you know, um, when Jesus comes, we'll be united with him in that heaven, in the new Jerusalem. But can I tell you something, child of God? Listen to me very, 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 very carefully. We will, our rewards will not be the same in heaven. The Bible says he is coming and he will reward every man according to his deed. He will reward every man according to his deed. If truly he is Lord, what that means is that we are going to go back and then we are going to give account for this life that we have lived. If truly he is Lord, it means that he has sent us on an errand and then we will go back and give account of the errand that he sent us to do. If truly he is Lord, he has sent us on an errand and we are going to go back and give account of that, er- of that errand that he has told us to do. Praise God. Praise God. You know, this reminds me of a message I, I just taught yesterday to on another platform I was invited to speak on. The message is going to be edited and uploaded on the website. It's called The Faithful Fervent Servant. It's going to be uploaded, uh, just check tomorrow. It's going to be uploaded tomorrow tomorrow by tomorrow is going to be up this message will be edited and by the grace of god it will be up tomorrow or tuesday okay it will be updated but you need to listen to the two messages together they will help you and make sense let your life count for something more than you can i tell you something when the lord tells me to give to ministries or to give to men of god right either give to a ministry or to give to the pastor himself two different things one thing that the lord has let me understand is this when you die, it does not how much money you have in your account will not matter. But when you give for the work of the ministry, how much you have given at 
actually will be a springboard for your reward as well. Why? Because men are going to lift up their hands and give God thanks because the word came to them. And why did the word come to them? Because you gave. You are going to have to preach the gospel to people because Paul let us understand that the church, one of those churches was were going to be his joy and rejoicing at the coming of Christ. They were going to be his joy and rejoicing at the coming of Christ. So even Paul was going to have a reward for preaching. The people that partnered with Paul, they were going to have a reward for giving. Child of God, you don't get to choose. We will give, we will preach, we will disciple. Every child of God has been called to be a missionary. You are, and then you have also been called to be a partner. Everything that God has told you to do, you will do them and you will do them well. Why? Because he is Lord. Two things that his lordship means. We live on his terms, not on the terms of the world. We live by the word, not by the world. And the second thing that this means is he's coming back again. Child of God, Jesus is coming back again. Let me say that one more time so you will ring in your ear. Jesus is coming back again. Jesus is coming back again. And we will give account. This finite life, this, this life, this struggle for the things that are going to pass away, they will, they will pass away and we will stand before this. Jesus. Heaven is our home, but our reward will be different. The child of God who does not live a meaningful life will be ashamed at the coming of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. Even though heaven is his home, he will be ashamed at the coming of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org. God bless you.